Father, this evening, we once again, we stand in your presence. We wait in your presence. We have come, Lord, some are on holiday, some are from the workplace, some from home. But Father, all in your presence, for one purpose, O oh Lord, you teach us. Teach us your way and cause us to walk in your ways, O oh God. Speak, Father, teach us, even this evening. Speak to us, teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we continue, not a continuation of where we stopped on Sunday, but every message is a continuation of the Word of God. And the purpose we gather is to encourage one another to the Word, and that we may know God more and more, know His ways more and more. In Scripture, by now you should be very well aware of Scripture. We know from Hosea 4, uh, 4, 6, if I'm right, my people perish for lack of? Lack of what knowledge is that we perish? Lack of, lack of knowledge of who God is, who He is, and what are His ways. That's how we perish, because ultimately it's God who reigns over all the affairs of man. It's God who judges. And if we do not know God and know His ways, then in those areas where we do not know him and we make decisions and choices that are contradictory to who he is and his ways, we perish. Once we know one facet area of, of his nature, of what he is like, we have only two choices. We surrender and submit and embrace it with all our heart or we resist we rebel and we ultimately get devoured by it. Okay, So we continue our study of God and we look at this supposed contradictions. They are not contradictions. They come together only in God and in Christ. So we see grace and truth. We see love and light. We saw on Sunday love and light. God is love. God is love. God so loved the world. We know it by heart. Equally true is the other truth, which is in 1 John 1, five, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So when a God of love draws people to him, he will also is the God of light in whom there is no darkness. So it is impediment in upon us to see that. He will also drive everything that is dark out of our lives. Therefore, God is love. Therefore, He is also a consuming fire. His nature has never changed in the Old or the New Testament. People read the Old Testament and the New Testament. They leave the Old Testament. They think that's a different God. But He is the same God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24, God will say, Your God, for the Lord your God, whose God? Israel's God. is a consuming fire. But then He comes into the New Covenant and Hebrews 12, 29, He will say, Our God is a consuming fire. So He's the same God. He hasn't changed. We try to change Him. 
But he never changes. He's the same God. God is a God of love in the Old Testament. God is a God of love in the New Testament. God is a consuming fire in the Old Testament. God is still a consuming fire in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. So, because of this, we understand. We are able to reconcile basic pillars of our faith, of our, of what we believe. God is love. God is holy. Therefore, every sin is against God's love and God's holiness. So all sin will be judged. Yet God wants to save the sinner. So he makes a way. Say a way. Not two ways. Not three ways. One way. He makes one way. Only one way. That reconciles both his holiness and his love. That's why it's only one way. If it is left to us, it would be many ways. His one way is where the holiness of God and the love of God is reconciled. And that way is Jesus. That way is Jesus. And the major issue mankind has is with that way. Major issue. The fact that there is only one way. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it is, it is, it leaves no room there. I am the way. There's no other way. I am the truth. There is no other truth because every religion preaches on the premise they have some hold on truth. But he says, I am the truth. Every religion supposedly is showing mankind a way to the next life. But Jesus says, I am the way. And they show the way on the premise they have some hold on the truth. He says, I'm sorry, I am the truth. And this is on the premise that on the other side they promise you life. But he says, I am the life. Absolutely, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes. So most people, their issue is with this. The issue with this is that there is only one way, and two, that way is Jesus. Then there is only one mediator. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, scripture says, There is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Why are these things important? Because even if you accept, okay, there's only one God and uh, one way, I'm a Christian. Let's say I'm a Catholic. And God comes and narrows it down for those who come under the big label of Christianity and says, okay, you're a Christian? Let me tell you, there are no two mediators. There's only one mediator between God and man. The road, truth blocks almost every practicing Catholic is blocked at the way because they have many mediators, but God says only one mediator. One mediator. God and men, the man Christ, Jesus. And if you look at it logically, that's the only way possible because if somebody has to talk to God, he must be God. So Christ is God from the beginning. Somebody has to talk to us, he must be man, and Christ became man. So he's called the Son of God and the Son of Man. The only one. The cry of the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. He says, who will mediate? 
And then he says, my Redeemer lives. He says, I will see him one day. The cry of the oldest book is this. And God answered it through his son. So understand, fundamentals of faith. These exclusive claims are what divides the entire world into two camps. A believing church and the rest. The rest, everybody. Everybody, irrespective of what your religion is. If you're a Hindu, Jesus is the only way. If you're a Muslim, Jesus is the only way. If you're a Jew, Jesus is the only way. If you're a Catholic, Jesus is the only mediator. Jesus breaks down humanity into two groups. Those who accept what God says and His way and those who reject. And once you turn back to all the opinions of man and get on the way, and as you try to progress in your walk with God, you will encounter truth every step of the way. First you get on to the way. And then on the way, every day if you try to encounter the living God, what you encounter is truth. And the issue is truth always brings division. Because of the nature of truth. Truth can be only one. Truth cannot be two. So the very nature of the truth always brings division. That's why Jesus said, I have come to bring division, not to divide people. But he says that's the nature of truth. It brings division. This is the challenge of every believer. How long will you walk on this way? How much pressure can you withstand dealing with truth? You may ask, Lord, why don't you lessen the pressure? You often would say, Lord, why is it so difficult? Why can't you just bring down the pressure? And his answer, if you look in scripture, his answer will be always what he says in the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. In his fullness we have all received what? Grace for grace. Why? Why do we need grace for grace? Because when Jesus came, law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He says the pressure is with this. Pressure is with this. As you're walking in this way, you are encountering truth every day. And the enormous pressure of truth, because truth ultimately divides and the whole world is divided into two camps. Those who oppose truth, Jesus Christ, and those who want to walk with God on the side of truth. And he says, because of this pressure, what is given? Grace. That's why grace is given. Grace is, as he says, I'm not going to temper down truth. Instead, I will give you grace upon grace so that you can walk in truth and handle the pressure that truth brings into our day-to-day life. So understand how we reconcile these things in scripture. How we understand, Lord, I want to walk with truth. I find it so difficult. He says, grace, my grace is there. My grace is there. So, today we are going to look at something in scripture which we all know, all of us who have been Christians have heard it over and over again. How do we reconcile this truth in God's scripture? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, this is Apostle Paul. The background of this, Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest of the apostles. We do not know what that issue was, but we knew he had an issue which was in his body, in his flesh. That issue was allowed by God. It is from the devil. It's a messenger from the devil and it is crippling him physically. 
probably emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, we don't know. It's very embarrassing for him. Embarrassing for him. Okay? And then he's crying to God, Lord, please take this away. Three times he cried. Three times God said no. And his answer to him when he said no to a very godly prayer. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. We have to say, humanly speaking, mentally speaking, humanly in our physical body, in our mind, it doesn't work. It's a recon- you cannot reconcile it. Weakness is weakness, strength is strength. They are opposites. They are opposites. They are opposites. That's why I said, when you look into the scripture, we have to understand the heart of God, the mind of God, the ways of God. God, see, if I am strong, I am strong. If I am weak, I am weak. But here God turns around and says, my strength is perfected in your weakness. How do we reconcile this? Because we read it, we memorize it, we stumble over it, we quote it to others. But what does it actually mean? How does it work practically? That's the whole idea of scripture. And the whole idea of preaching, we are not here coming to learn, receive knowledge to write an exam. That's why Jesus said, my word is life. Meaning we are learning how to put this into practice in our practical lives. Okay? So we are going to look tonight, keeping the, keep this in your mind. Not back, but front of your mind. Keep it there. Okay? His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And we look at a portion where it talks about a history, a few people in Israel's history in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and 33. Very powerful chapter, okay, about faith. What more shall I say? The writer of Hebrews is saying, we don't know who it is, probably Apostle Paul. What more shall I say? He's talking about the history of those who walked with God. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. He says, I have no time. I want to tell you about Gideon, about Barak and Samson and Jephthah. These are all in the book of Judges. Okay? From Judges, he comes down to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. He's going in order. And of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. Through faith, they subdued, overcame kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Obtain promises. Stop the mouth of lions. Yeah, shall we go to the next one? Quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. And out of weakness were made strong. Do you see? Out of weakness... They were made strong. A list is coming. When we read all that, we just quickly go, huh, Samson I know, Jephthah I know, Barak I know. We are, we are all historians. We know all these people. Right? If you go to verse 33, if you go to, can I have 33 and 34 together? Yeah. If you look, stop the mouth of lions. And we say, huh, I know who it is. Who it is? Daniel. Then we come to verse 34. Scripture says, Quench the violence of fire. Oh, I know who it is. Who is that? Daniel's three friends. Escape the edge of the sword. 
out of weakness were made strong. Okay, keep that in mind. Okay, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouth of lions, that is Daniel quenched the violence of fire, the three friends, and out of weakness they were made strong. Out of weakness, they were made strong. And to Paul, he says centuries later, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, the Bible, if you look at it, always talks about two categories of people, the strong and the weak. So if you start the Bible narrative, Cain is strong. Abel is weak. All the others are strong. Enoch is weak. All the others are strong. Noah is weak. The others are strong. Abraham is weak. Ishmael is strong. Isaac is weak. Esau is strong. Jacob is weak. The other brothers are strong. Joseph is weak. They're all weak. They are not strong. Strength is what the world sees with the other set of people. So the question is, was Abel actually, physically, intellectually weaker than Cain? Not probably, no. They may be equally ate from the same mother, right? Same mother cooked for both of them. So it needn't be that they both were, Abel was physically or intellectually weaker than Cain. No, it looks like Abel was smarter than Cain. Okay, so it's not talking about that. Or Esau, Isaac, do you think was physically or mentally weaker than Ishmael? No. So what is it talking about there in Hebrews 11? Daniel's weakness was made strong. And what did he do? He stopped the mouths of lions. How old is Daniel at that time? 85 years old? I don't know whether he used a walking stick. He's he's old man. Very old man. But scripture says he shut the mouths of the lions. Who? Daniel, not when he was a teenager, 20 years old. But when he was 85 years old, an 85 or more, was an old, old, old man, he shut the mouth of lions. Are you getting the picture? Daniel is an old, old man. Remember in the portion in Ephesians 6, which tells us we are involved in war, Spiritual warfare, put on the whole, whole armor of God. Why? Because we are in an actual battle. Do you notice what he says in Ephesians 6.16? Above all. Above all. What should you be taking? You have all these things, but above all. What is above all? What should we have? The shield of faith. Above all, the shield of faith. Listen carefully, okay? I'll put it together. Daniel is an old, old man. And what is the enemy looking for? What is the enemy looking for? He's looking for, in Daniel, an area to attack him. One area to attack him. So Daniel 6.4 will say, 
So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there error or any fault found in him. This is a secular thing. They first checked him in this secular area. And I'm telling you, this is common with many people, not just Daniel. In this case, spectacular, but you will find many, many Hindus and Muslims and others incredibly righteous in the way they work in the secular field. No bribes. They come on time, they do a hard work, they go into distracted and they retire gracefully and because of them, systems run. The entire system in India is running because there are incredibly righteous people in places who put in a hard work. Now, people will talk about railways with four accidents, but the fact is that 13,000 or 15,000 trains run a day. Why is it running without accidents? It's because there are incredibly righteous people who are in their positions and do their work. So this is the secular aspect. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. He, let's put in your term. You come on time. You go out on time. You don't waste your time. You don't misuse or abuse the things in your office. You put in a day of real integrity, ethics, work ethics, everything you have. They checked on him. They couldn't find anything. Then it comes to verse 5. 6-5. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We have to find a weak area in him. What is his weakness? In the eyes of the world? In the eyes of his world, in the eyes of these enemies, his faith is his weakness. What is his weakness? His obedience. Obedience that comes from faith is his weakness. My question to you is that when you go to the world, does the world see your faith as your weakness? Your faith as your weakness. Is that one area we are open to attack and vulnerable? For the world will look at the man of faith as weak, as ignorant, and as vulnerable. They laugh at them and they mock them. They do all these because they see our faith and our obedience that comes from faith as weakness. And many of you, if your friends were to call you at 9 o'clock, you pick your call. Where were you? You will just say, no, I just went to the city because you are embarrassed to say on Wednesday night you went to church. Because you are more worried, your friends will all love what? Holidays, church? At Wednesday night? You must be crazy. They, do you, do they see this as strength? No, they, they see this as weakness. Of weak people. In the eyes of his enemies, Daniel's enemies in the Babylonian world, his faith was his weakness. But in the eyes of God, his faith became the source of his strength. That's what God is telling Paul. In your weakness, my strength will be perfected. Often, we don't experience his strength when we need it. It's because we are not obedient in our faith. We are ashamed of our faith. We are ashamed of our faith. You go to any office, any Indian office. The Hindu comes, his God's picture is there, he comes, he does, put this thing, then he sits there. He's not ashamed. The Muslim will wake up in the afternoon, railway station, road in the train, he will go, he will bow. The Christian is very ashamed. Very ashamed. 
Daniel was not ashamed. Though our faith, in their faith, there is no power of grace coming. It's the power of flesh. But in our faith, God says, if the world sees as that weakness, because the world sees it, because you make it visible, he says, that's where my strength is perfected. That's what God is telling Paul in Second Corinthians 12.9. Lord, please, he must be crying. It's an embarrassment. All my enemies laugh at me. Oh, the great preacher. Saul of Tarsus. Worker of miracles. Look at him. Hobbled by infirmity. Oh, physician, heal thyself, they will tell him. God will tell him, in spite of your weakness, are you still preaching? Yes, Lord. And Paul, if you stop preaching, this embarrassment will go, right? You have two choices you are putting before me. First choice, Lord, heal me. I am fine. Tomorrow I continue preaching and people get healed. They have nothing to look at me. I am this strong man. Okay? Or, Lord, let me get out of ministry. Because if I go into a secular world where I am making tents and hobbling, nobody says anything because there are lots of hobblers making tents. But I am going to give you the only choice that is from me. You keep hobbling and preach. You keep limping and preach. Or you keep peering because you are blind, half blind, and continue preaching because in your weakness, my strength is perfected. In the world, to be afflicted of the devil and quit on God is strength. Because then you don't have to be ridiculed. Whose theology is that? Job's wives. Curse God and die. Why are you holding on to your integrity? Because when your kind of calamity comes, in the world when it comes, there are people who clench their fist at God and they're considered strong men. They're considered not weak men. But you, wife is telling you, man, you're a foolish man. What are you doing still saying hallelujah, hallelujah, children are gone, your wealth is gone, everything is gone, you're saying hallelujah, hallelujah. Just curse God and die. See, rebel and rebellion is glorified in this world. And those who cling to God is seen as weak. Cling to God is seen as weak. That's what Barack Obama in his first election, he spoke about the Christians in the red states. He says they cling to their guns and their Bibles. They are weak. And Hillary lost because she called the conservative believing Christians, she called them a basket of deplorables. That's the actual view of the world. If you cling to God in faith and you go regularly to church and you stick to God and nothing seems to be changing in your life, but you still humbly stick, you're a deplorable, you're weak. You're weak. God says, in your weakness, my strength is perfected. But our problem is, we know the world glorifies rebellion and sees that as strength. The world where to read the Bible, their hero would be Cain. Their hero would be Ishmael. Their hero would be Esau. Their hero would never be Abel. Their hero definitely won't be Jacob and not Isaac. 
is too much of a wuss. Philistines come and dig, you dig, they take and he says, okay, take, I'll move and dig here. They will say, no man, that's not, you need to fight, be a man. The world will not accept our weakness has strength. But our weakness comes because we are obedient to the faith, to our God. And our major issue is that we all face a similar kind of issues in our workplaces or schools or colleges. But unlike Daniel, we are ashamed of our faith. That's why we are religious at church and secular at our workplace. Therefore, in the secular workplace, we want to look like them, talk like them, walk like them, because we don't want to be weak before the world. Before the world. The first sign or the first move of Daniel, when he was, we know about Daniel as a teenager, when he made his stand, was actually in the eyes of the world, we are believers, so we say, wow, he made purpose in his heart. But the outward physical action, the, the, what you see with your eyes at the dining table, is a sign of physical weakness, incredible weakness in the eyes of the world. Look at what he actually said in First Daniel. Chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. He has picked your diet. There are dietitians in Babylon. They know from years and years of experience, you need smart people in the kingdom, strong physically, strong mentally. This is the kind of food you need to give them. For why should he see your face looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. He says, you know what? The king is going to look at everybody. And if somebody in the royal academy looks weak, my head is on the block. You know what he said? Daniel said to the steward, of whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for ten days and give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Think. What is he choosing in the eyes of the world? Everybody is eating chicken leg, mutton bilau, beef fry, and jugs of wine, here are four boys eating boiled vegetables and drinking water. What they chose was a physical symbol of weakness in the sight of strength. And God says, in your weakness, my strength is perfected. My strength. And we don't have that courage like them. To stand and say, yes Lord, tomorrow I am going into the world, but in the world... I will choose a symbol of weakness before the world. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Because if I'm not weak, then you will not be strong in me. If I try to be strong like the world, then I'm left to my own strength. You see, grace is for the weak, not for the strong. Grace is for whom? For the weak, not for the strong. Many, many, many Christians struggle because they do not understand how the kingdom of God works. How the kingdom of God works. In Matthew 22, verse 14, Jesus says this. I think I didn't give it. 22, 14. Jesus says this. Many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus died for everyone. 
But the scripture says everyone is called. Yeah, interesting, right? It doesn't say everyone is called. It says many are called. So who are the ones who are actually called? Before we go to the choosing, let us look at the calling. Who are the ones who are actually called? First Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling. So you are called. See your calling. Be very careful. He says, look at your calling. So when I'm looking at my calling, what should I look at? I should look at my resume. Look at your resume. He says, these, if your resume fits this, then you will know you are called. In the first place, before choosing, you have to be called. Check your resume. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty according to the flesh. Not many noble according to the flesh are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, the things which are despised. Interesting. Now honestly do a spiritual check and look at your resume. How do you see yourself in the world? Do you think yourself as foolish? Do you think yourself as weak? In the world, I'm weak. I have nothing except my faith. I have nothing. Do you see yourself as base? I have no reputation in the world. I have a reputation in the church. But I don't have a reputation in the world. Do you see your resume like that? Are you despised for your faith? These are spiritual realities. What do we actually think of ourselves? When we talk about ourselves outside the church, in your secular settings, what is that we talk? We talk exactly like the world, our strengths, not our weaknesses. We won't talk about any of the, any of the, the scriptural things. We'll never talk about Christ. You look at Daniel, you look at Joseph, you look at all this David and all of them. When they were weak vessels picked by God, when they were brought before kings, they will say, my Lord, I am all this but my God. They were not ashamed. They knew they were weak, but they knew their God was strong. Therefore, God's strength could work through them. These are spiritual realities. Because... Even salvation is for the weak. God intervenes only there. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, For when we were still without strength. When? This is something which is a spiritual reality. When did Jesus die? 2000 years ago. When did he die for me? Not 2,000 years. It's a real, it's a living reality. When do I experience his death? Only when I am weak, not when I am strong. If I am strong, why do I need his death? Why do I have to even believe that he died for me? No, you don't have to die for me. Uh, you have to listen to people. Many people say, I didn't ask him to die. I didn't ask him to die. So only the weak man... The one who actually knows, I do not have the strength to save myself. Only for him, the death of Jesus makes any sense. The religious man is not weak. He's strong. Very strong. He's very strong. 
So he, he, he cannot accept the death of Christ. For scarcely a righteous man will one day die perhaps. Okay, come to the next one, eight. But God, that's the, that's the thing. For a weak man, when you are aware, really spiritually aware of your weakness, God intervenes. There in his life, there is this word called, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, God intervenes in his life. Who? Into the weak. Those who are weak understand the grace of God because they are weak. If you are strong, that two words, but God, changes everything. Everything changes everything in life. But God, yes, I am weak. But God. But if I am strong, in spite of God, I did it. We don't say it, but that's how we act it out. In spite of God. He intervenes, let me tell you, almost always, only in the lives of those who actually recognize they are weak and they are sinners. And that itself is a statement of their faith. Lord, I need you. What does that mean? I am weak. I need you. Trusting in a Savior only. Trusting in the work of Christ alone is an incredible sign of weakness to the world. Ask the Jew. Remember? The young man and the lawyer and all that. Ask the Jew. How do you get eternal life? Immediate answer? Ten commandments. I have kept the ten commandments from my youth. So are you weak? No, you are strong. I am putting my strength in my ability, in my capacity and my record of how I have kept the Ten Commandments. Ask the Muslim, yes, I have kept the five pillars of Islam. What's the assurance that comes about the next life? Five pillars. Ask the Hindu, he'll say karma. Ultimately, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. Ask the Buddhist, same thing, different concept, nirvana. Ask the Catholic, every Catholic I have asked, ultimately will say good deeds or my religious deeds. Ask your true believers, he will say, mercy of my Savior. Mercy, mercy, mercy. I am saved by mercy, saved by grace. Nothing at all. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 7 and verse 22, 23, scripture says, Go answer and said, go tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Who? Only the poor. If you look at the category of all this healing taking place, all these people had to come to the point of weakness and acknowledge their weakness before they could receive a healing. The blind, what do you want? Lord, I want my sight. Okay, you're weak. You want sight, take it. Lord, I want to walk. Okay, you're weak, right? Okay, walk. Lord, I am ill. Okay, you walk. Everybody had to come to that point of acknowledging I am weak. I have spent all my money on the physicians. Twelve years I have run around. Now I'm at the end of my road. I've heard about you. Lord, have mercy. You're healed. 
grace is for the weak. And the gospel is for the gospel is for the poor. Gospel is for the poor. Poor is not talking about money alone. It's not talking about that. Though it's a very good criteria because many, many, many poor people who are who don't have money don't have strength. Because in this world, what is strength? Money is strength. One of the reasons most people even in this church are not dependent upon prayer or the word of God is because all your needs are being met without this. You are not weak yet. Though you pray, though you listen to the word, you don't do it as if you are desperate that without God I cannot do anything. Daniel prayed three times a day all the days of his life when he was number two in Babylon. Not when he was a slave. Daniel fasted for 21 days when he was prince of Babylon. Not when he was strong in the world, but he was extremely weak before God. That strength in the world meant nothing to him. Understand realities about how it was. That is why Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever, on the Sermon on the Mount, the first premise Jesus puts about the Sermon on the Mount before the eyes of the world is, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs. As long as you are not weak, you will never be strong in God. If you're weak in yourself, then the strength of God is for you. If you're weak, you will ask for grace. And grace is yours. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of grace. It's yours. It's yours. Salvation is for the weak, not for the strong. The Sermon on the Mountain begins with salvation. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. Jesus died for the whole world. For all are sinners. All are sinners. They all have died, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But all do not acknowledge their weakness as sinner and ask for a savior. They don't. For those who are weak in themselves, who comes to God in their weakness, God says, I pour out my grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, this is our history. Humanity's history starting from Adam till the last man. And you he made alive who were, okay, leave that first thing. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Who is that you? You and me. I was dead, I will put myself there if you are reluctant, okay? I was dead in trespasses and sins in which I once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in me, the son of disobedience, among whom also I also once conducted myself in the lust of my flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by where nature I was a child of wrath, just as the others But God, that changed everything. What changed everything? But God, who is rich in mercy. What is he rich in? Mercy. Only the weak man asks for mercy. The strong man does not ask for mercy. But God, but God. That changed my history. That changes our history. What is that changes our history? But God, 
who is rich in what? Mercy. Who needs mercy? Only the weak needs mercy. The strong don't need mercy. Strong don't need mercy. And if you come to verse 5 and 6, even when I was dead in my trespasses, he made me alive together with Christ. By grace I have been saved and raised me up together and made me sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did he save me? By grace. Through faith. So faith was a weakness. What was my weakness in the eyes of the world? Who do you believe? Only Jesus. Why do you go to church? Because we thought it, I cannot survive. Why do you keep reading your word? Because that is my food. Why do you pray? I am a weak fellow. Waster. Our weakness is when God's grace comes in. But our issue is that we don't want to be weak before the world or weak to even ourselves. I don't need the word so much. I don't need to pray. I'm not dependent. I am dependent upon God, but that's just a religious person. I'm not dependent upon God like faith demands. I'm not poor. I'm not poor. That's what verse 8 will say, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith is our weakness in the eyes of the world. These people clinging to their Bibles and their churches. Weak people. Pray, 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 pray. Meet, meet, meet. Study, study, study. Give, give, give. What kind of people? Boring set of people. That's our weakness. That's our strength. So that's where our journey begins. On earth. Our real journey begins on earth is when we were child of wrath like everybody else. But in our weakness we cried and but God intervened was rich in mercy and he intervened grace came in and our journey began and when our journey begins most christians first initially don't understand that often we may more face more trouble more temptation and more trials than other men and women because of our faith because of our faith because we got the world and the devil against us. And God, the devil says, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you want to mess up my system? Only four from the tribe of Judah were attacked in Babylon. Did you notice that? How many hundreds of young men came from Babylon? Did you see anybody being attacked over there except four? Nobody else. The others just assimilated with the culture. With the Babylonian culture, they look like Babylon, ate like Babylon, talk like Babylon, dress like Babylon, they listen to the same music, the same movies, they look just like Babylon. So they faced. They did not face the troubles and the trials and the temptations that are exclusively for those who accept the weakness that comes from faith. But when you accept the weakness from faith, also comes the grace to stand in the hour of your trial. We will face much, much more than the rest of the world because the devil is against us. Because the world hates us. We will be taken advantage of, I'm telling you young people in schools, colleges, universities, office rooms, corporate, private, government, whatever it is. You will be cheated. You will be deceived. You will be taken advantage of. 
You will be faced with jealousy if you succeed. You will face evil. The world faces general evil. We face targeted evil. We face enemies whom we don't even know. Whom we don't even know about. We face sickness like others don't. Like others don't. I usually tell there are four kinds of sickness. The first sickness comes because you didn't take care of your body. You ate wrong, you drink wrong, you don't exercise. So the naturally, like a car, if you don't change its oil, you don't service it regularly, one day it will break down. So much of the breakdown, don't blame the devil, don't blame God. It is because you didn't take care of the machine. Okay? That's the first cause of sickness. So for that sickness to go, God may miraculously interview, give you a healing, but it is not going to last if you don't start servicing your engine. It's not going to go. If you're stuck in the midnight road somewhere, petrol has ran out and you say, Lord have mercy, fumes will come, you will reach your home. That doesn't mean the rest of the week you can drive on fumes. God will say, go to the pump and fill the tank. Okay, there are certain things that comes. The second source of illness is not because of the body, it is because of the soul, the mind. It comes from anxiety, fear. Anxious, anxious, God says, don't worry, don't worry, I'm in control, don't worry. Okay, your problems are all real, I'm in control, I'm in control. But you can't be weak and trust God, you have to be strong and worry. Because things are not in your control. Worry is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. You're worrying only because you do not have control. If you had enough money to change your situations, you wouldn't worry in the same situation. Because you have strength, you have power. And you're worrying not because of the problem. You're worrying because you don't have control. That means you don't have money or influence. So second source of illness is from the soul. Because you're worrying, you're anxious, you're worrying, you're anxious. And from that comes a second source of illness. There's a third source of illness that is not from the soul, it is from the spirit. Because you're unforgiving, you are bitter, and the root of bitterness finally manifests as a sickness. And God says, there is no way out of forgive and let go. Three first sources of sickness, the body, the soul, or the spirit. The third, fourth source of sickness is what, if we go through, we should be going through, is because you serve God. You serve God. We'll come to that if there is time. But this is not a message on sickness. I just went off the line, coming back to the road. Okay? So you, we, we will face sickness. The world will face sickness one, two, three. We will face sickness one, two, three, four. We are not exempt. We actually face more. But what do we have? We have grace if you are weak. Ultimately, we will face death. Also, we will face death in situations unlike others. They may die in an accident. They may die because of a sickness. They may die of various reasons. But our head could be chopped off because we believe. So we have an extra option of how to die, which they don't have. Understand, it is not, it's not like you have to look at the scripture and see. So the question is when we go through these, how will we face it? How will we face all these basic parameters of life in weakness or in strength? In faith or in sight? How will we face these things? Let us say cheating. Cheating. 
if you're going to be honest in your workplace, especially if you're in the government, very honest, you will be much promotions will pass over you. And you will be shunted from post to post to this thing. No, finally you will, even if you reach by seniority, DG, let's say police as an example, DG, Director General of Police, because all t- service rules are there, ranks cannot be abolished, so you reach DG. But what will you become DG? DG of prisons. You'll never become DG of the police force because they won't give you because that's a very high profile post and they don't want you there because you're too honest. Understand how the system works. Okay, so what happens? You will be taken advantage of and people often take advantage of believers who walk in obedience that comes from faith. Knowing very well our God holds us to a higher standard than others. Why? Simply because he makes grace available to us to endure and to overcome to his children. God is not holding us. Hey, this is how you should walk. Why? Because you are my children. He says that's only point one. Point B, because grace is available for you which is not available to the other man. Therefore, I hold you to a higher standard of life because of the power that is available for you. But it's only available if you're weak and not strong. Therefore, our faith itself becomes our weakness in our workplace. The question is, are we willing to be taken advantage of? If you are weak, yes. If you are strong, no. Genesis chapter 31, verses 12. All this has to be proved with scripture, right? Genesis 31. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. And indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. Attitude has changed in the workplace. Apply it to your situation. You've been honest. You have worked. You have worked your guts out. You've been honest and never cheated the company of anything, not even of a pin. And you put in uh, 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours shift and you have met the targets, you have done it all. But the rest of them are angry at you, upset at you. At you. And Laban knows. Jacob knows. They are mad at him. In verses 4 to 7, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his and said to, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Just look, my God has been with me. I haven't cheated your father. Your father has cheated me. I have never cheated your father. I have worked harder than all his sons. And I have prospered because in my weakness, my God was my strength. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. You know you are my wives. I have you, Nothing can be hidden from you. You know I am your husband. That's your father. I have worked for your father 20 years. You know I have. How I have worked. It's my resume. My work performances before you. You know it. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages. How many times? But God. But God. My weakness became my strength. My employer never gave me a promotion 10 times in these 20 years. Not even 20 years, 7 years. He kept on changing the work rules just for me. He kept on pushing me down. Kept on making it difficult. Changing me from process to process to process. I'm using your language. But God did not allow him. To hurt me. Did not allow him 
You hurt me. Therefore, you apply these principles into your daily life, into your work. This is a very, very practical book. Absolutely practical book. But it only works in faith. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Work hard. Allow yourself to be taken advantage of. Jacob was taken advantage of his employer. First, he was taken totally advantage of because the employer looked at him and said, this guy loves my daughter. And when people fall in love, they are blind. That's why it's called a fall. It's not called a heroes in love. He fell in love. Bakra ko hat mein mil gaya. I can make good use of him. You want my daughter? Okay. Well, you have to work for her. Okay. God worked for Rachel. God Leah. He said, I got Leah. He said, yeah, that's our culture. That's our rules. You didn't read the small print in our... <laughs> when I gave you the paper, you didn't read that fine print. That's our rule. It is written in the lot of section B. We give the first girl. You didn't read that. Now you want the second one? Yes, I want the second one. Under seven years. He worked 14 years without wages. 14 years without wages. Yet, Genesis 30, verse 27 says, Laban said to him, after 40, 20, 14, 20 years, he wants to leave. 14 years, he wants to leave. He said, I have finished. I got my wife. I got my children. I want to go. He said, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. I know the company has prospered because of you. Please don't go. Don't go. I'm not saying all your employees will be like that, but if he's wise, he will know. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Stay. You, you set the terms. You set the terms. How do you want your, how do you want your wages? And he says, this is all I ask. But the employer was crooked. Though he agreed on one term, he kept on changing the terms for seven more years, ten times. Still Jacob prospered. Our weakness is our strength. And God intervenes. Then only God intervenes. Otherwise God won't intervene. He won't intervene. If our strength is our strength, he won't intervene. He said, you have strength, you don't need, you don't need grace. Grace is, it's not my grace is sufficient for you. Your strength is sufficient for you. Go your way. When you are with no strength, come to me. Then I will tell you what to do. Now run. Job chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise men in their own craftiness and the counsel of the cunning man comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in daytime and grope at noontime as the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty and from their hand. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts up her mouth. He says, the poor always has hope. Are you poor in the spirit? You have hope. I'm watching if Every employer. I am watching your situations. I am watching. You don't worry about your employer. Worry about yourself. Are you working there by faith? Or are you working there by sight? Is your weakness your strength? Or are you walking on your strength? Our faith is weakness to the carnal. To Laban, Jacob's faith was weakness. He said, I'll take advantage of him. And our source of obedience, our, our obedience is a source of contempt for them. You getting it? 
I'm making scripture practical. How we, this is a long drawn out life. This is not one day you, tomorrow I heard, tomorrow I want to practice, day after tomorrow my breakthrough comes. No, it won't come. It took 20 years for Jacob for his breakthrough to come because he was consistent in his obedience that he knew God would ultimately lift him up. That's why I'm trying to make scripture practical. If you walk by faith and weakness before God, you will succeed in your God-appointed task. God-appointed task, not necessarily in the ways of the world. Abraham was successful. Isaac was successful. Jacob was successful. Joseph was successful. Daniel, David, always successful. In the New Testament, Jesus was very successful. world did not recognize it, but he was very successful. All the apostles were successful. And their enemies were jealous. Coming to the second thing. What happens if you are successful in your workplace? What do you face? Why are you successful in the first place? Because you are weak. Not because you are strong. Because of your faith, you are successful. Therefore, you take, get taken advantage of. That's the first premise. Second one, what happens? You face jealousy. And you will see in the New Testament, everybody, including Jesus, starting with Jesus, everybody faced jealousy. So there will be always attacks that comes from jealousy to bring you down. In Proverbs 27 and verse 4, wrath is cruel anger at torment, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Who is able to stand before jealousy? And you will typically look at Jesus. Put your scriptural eyes on and imagine Jesus. Jesus the preacher. Okay, not Jesus the savior. Jesus the preacher. And put yourself in the position of all the other preachers, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Jesus has nothing of his own. He has no building, not even a tent where he can hold a meeting. He has no trapping of power, no robes, no authority, nothing of the world. He is homeless, penniless. Even for an illustration in the middle of his sermon, he has to borrow a coin because he doesn't have one. So why were they jealous? They were jealous because he had something they did not have. He had authority. Where did his authority come from? His authority came because he was weak and not strong. And they were strong and and therefore they had no authority. They had everything. They had the temple. They had the trapping. They had the robes. They had the authority of Rome given everything they had. But one thing they did not have was the authority when they preached. And they knew this man had authority when he preached. And the reason he had authority was because he was weak. Therefore, God was strong in him. That's why they killed him. Mark 15 verse 10 says, For he knew the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Pilate, see the worldly man is able to see the worldly priest through. They know where they are. Come, don't fool me. (laughs) I know. You are making all his sin against our God. Is sin Come on, yeah. Don't try me. I know why you handed him over. You handed him over because you're jealous of him. Simple. Acts chapter 7, 9 and 10. Now the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. But God, but God was with him. But God. 
You are extremely successful in your work. You have work ethics, your heart and your work comes from your faith. And there are enemies who are rising, who are jealous of you. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. But God changed the narrative. In Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. In Philippians chapter 2, 8 and 9, listen to Paul talking about Jesus. He being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself about Jesus and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of cross. This is the weakness that comes from faith. But God exalted him to the highest place. He brought him down as down as he could go. God exalted him as high he could be taken. But God, Therefore, we will face lots of issues more than others. We will face evil in our life. Why? Because the devil is evil and evil men will only grow stronger and stronger. That's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. So if you are standing there in your weakness of faith, in your integrity because of faith, your honesty because of faith and your love for God and your obedience because of faith, evil men is only going to increase more and more. And to them, our faith looks like a terrible weakness and it looks like a liability in the face of evil. But scripture says in our weakness, his strength is perfected. That's why we are asked to pray, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge in my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from, keep me from evil. Huh? But God intervened. Everything was going against him, but he had one thing. What was that? The weakness that comes from faith. But look at this prayer. This prayer has been made into a book called the prayer of Jabez. That man has made millions of rupees and laughed all the way to the bank without understanding what Jabez is actually talking about. His prayer, everybody starts mantra, the prayer of Jabez, prayer of Jabez, but nothing is changing in their lives. Why? Because what is he saying? Keep me from evil. Why? That I may not cause pain. Evil men and women cause pain and harm to the lives of others. Lord, please don't make me evil. I don't want to cause anybody pain. That was the reason why he prayed. He says, Lord, I am strong. If I go in my ways, I will harm a lot of people like everybody does. I will cause pain. So Lord, I want to be weak before you. Do not let me be evil that I cause pain to others. That's why God granted him what he requested. He was weak in his prayer. He was not being strong. He's saying, let me not go in the gang of evildoers and cause harm to others. 
If you pray this prayer, you know what that means? You will be a loser in your class. They don't want you in your company because you stick out. You will be a loser in your office. You may be the nicest guy around, but they don't want you because you won't join with them in their drug gangs and alcohol gangs and obscene drug gangs and their dress and their parties and all that stuff you won't join. Therefore, they don't want you. They don't want you there. Therefore, we look at it and we realize, you know, my, my faith is... Uh, okay, I'll go to church on Sunday and act out my faith. Monday, leave me alone. In the process, what do you cause? You cause a lot of pain and harm and hurt to others without even realizing initially. And then it just spreads. And Jabez's first prayer was this, Lord, keep me from evil. How do you keep yourself from evil? First, from staying away from the company of evildoers. Genesis 50, verse 20. One more scripture to prove. But as for you, you meant? You meant? Evil. But God. But God. What changed my life? But God. Intervened. Why did God intervene in Joseph's life? Because he was weak. He had an obedience that came from faith. As he went to, as soon as he went to Egypt and he looked at the circumstances, everything, he says, okay, let me be like Egypt. I can take, I can, I can, I can run this show. I can rise up the ranks of Egypt. I can do it their way. He didn't say any of that. He said, I'm weak here. I'm weak here. If he was not weak, God would not have been there because it is written twice in scripture that in the palace and in the prison, God was with him. Why was God with him? Because he was weak, not because he was strong. He hung on to his faith. And he walked in the obedience that comes from faith. Therefore, grace, God's grace was made perfect in his weakness. You will have enemies. You will have enemies. The next one, you will have enemies. Faith will produce many, many enemies. The first thing Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword, a division, and the man's enemy shall be the members of his own. That's the most painful, right? It's not your classmate. That is secondary. It's not your office colleague. It starts from home. Why? Because they see your faith has weakness. And it's an obstruction for them. In Psalm 64, verses One onwards, hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows bitter words. What's he talking about? He's not talking about enemies shouting and killing him or attacking. He says, you know what, they're forever slandering me behind my back. And the only reason they slander me is not because I drink, not because I smoke, not because I steal, not because I am unfaithful. They slander me simply because I take your name. Take your name. That one reason, they're forever sharpening their tongue like a sword. If I were to be like them, all the taxis. You're the best guy in the office. You're the best guy in the home. You're the best guy around. You're so nice and cool because you are just like me. But because I refuse to be like them, Lord, this is what is happening. That they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot him at and do not fear. 
They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. But God. All this they are planning. They are planning. This is the truth. From the time of Abel onwards to Joseph onwards, this is true. Who are the enemies of Joseph? His own brothers. What did Joseph do? Nothing. Only thing. What was the reason why he was mocked all the time? Only because he stood there in faith. That will happen to any one of you. If you come from unbelieving families, you choose to stand up and say, only Jesus, and this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not coming here, I'm not doing this. Immediately they sharpen their tongue against you. And God says, stand there. Hang in there. It may take 10 years. It may take 13 years. It may take 20 years. It doesn't matter. Hang in there. One day, God will intervene. God will. It took 21 years for Joseph. 21 years later, all his brothers stood before him and he rescued David, it took 13 years or more. That's what God is talking about. But God... In 1 Samuel 23 verse 14, this is what David says. David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Zip. Look at this poor fellow. First he was happily in the wilderness looking after his father's sheep. He was very happy with his sheep. Then God called him. He went. He did great and wonderful things for Israel. Was faithful and loyal to his king. The king is after him. He's back in the wilderness without sheep. Saul sought him. Every day. The king and his army is after you every day. But there's an intervention. But God did not deliver him into his hand. The devil is after the ones who are weak in the faith every day. But God will not deliver us into his hands. Will not. Will not. But God Jeremiah's cry in Jeremiah 20 verses 10 and 11. I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report this say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me. One preacher who preaches different from the rest of preachers in Israel. Who is that? Jeremiah. And because of that, were they angry with Jeremiah because he did something wrong? They were angry with Jeremiah because of what he preached. He says, only one way. No two ways, only one way. And they were watching and waiting and watching and waiting and plotting and plotting and plotting. And he says, but God, but God. You see, every level we will face more than others. What is our strength? It's the strength that God gives because we are aware and acknowledge and walk in our weakness, not in our strength like the world. Sickness. I gave you four ex-sicknesses, right? Which one do you want? should not ask for any. <laughs> Say, Lord, I don't want sickness. I can serve you well. But the devil will attack your body with sickness, your mind with depression. Philippians chapter 2. Yet I consider it necessary to send you to Ephraotis, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. He was sick. 
For indeed he was sick almost unto, he was sick almost unto, but God. But God. God intervened. Everybody said, he's gone. God said, not gone. God intervened. Why did he fall sick? Why was he sick? The words, the next one. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. That's the reason. That's the reason. A lot of servants of God like that, they work their guts out for Christ. And they fall sick. And they say, oh, you're God, you're a foolish man running around for Christ. Where is your house? Where is your car? What did you make out of serving this God? You are dead. God says, you won't die. You won't die. It's not a sickness because of unhealthy eating habits or living habits. This was not a sickness because of anxiety and fear. This was not a sickness which came because of unforgiveness and bitterness. This was sickness because he served Christ. Paul said, God said, no, you won't die. Elijah went into depression at the end of his first term of ministry. Depression, so depressed, suicidal. Literally, that's what psychology would call today. Classic suicidal case. I want to die. I don't want to work anymore. It was his prayer. But God intervened, sent an angel and said, come on, I know you. You are not going to die and I'm not going to keep you in depression because I know why you are like this. It's because of me and what you did for me. You're not going to go down that road. Christ, continue your ministry. Understand how it works. Because for us, we don't want that weakness that comes from faith. Because all around we see is strong men and women in their own ways. And you feel like a misfit over there. How? God, am I the only one? That's the cry of all the saints from the beginning. Am I the only one? God says, Elijah, you are not the only one. There are 7,000 others. Let's think you don't know them. And ultimately, after all this, we come to death. That's the final closure, right? Death. Death. For the man of faith who is walking in his weakness, his greatest fear is not his death. In the new covenant, you don't see anybody afraid of their death. But his greatest death, fear is about his children. About his children. Because every man of faith, you will see his children go haywire because of the attacks that come upon them to upset him or her, whatever the case may be. All the man of faith can do is continue in the weakness of his faith. So Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, A righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. But after him, not when he is there, often the case. What guarantee does he have? He looks at them, they are all walking in their rebellion. Oh Lord, what is the guarantee? Lord, should I, should I, should I? He says, you walk in my way. You walk in my way. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, his God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. With whom? With those who love him and keep his commandments. He said, you, you walk in that weakness of faith. Walk. Weakness of your faith. Don't worry. You walk. That's what God is telling. In death, the weak man does not fear his own death. Because he knows grace will take care of it. But he's more worried about what happens after I am gone. Where do your assurance come from? 
your assurance comes from the same weakness of your faith. At that point, don't change and say, oh, I need to do this. No. The very things that kept you strong, that is your weakness, is your strength even at death. So, the final example for today, Genesis 48 and verse 21. Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am, I am, but God is, I am dying. I am dying. Where am I dying? In Egypt, in the world. When I look, all my 12 children are in the world. When I look, all my grandchildren are in the world. But I am dying. But I am dying with this assurance. God will not forget His covenant with those who love Him and obey Him. He will bring you back to the land of your fathers. He will bring you back to the land of your fathers. When I die, I will die in the same way I lived, in the weakness of my faith, where his strength can be perfected. And I know, Jacob will say, my God, my God will come through for me even after death. So what is our weakness? What is our weakness? Paul says, God told Paul, in your weakness, my faith is made strong. What is our weakness? Our faith is our weakness. Our faith, in the eyes of the world, our faith is absolute weakness. That is why we don't want to do things. Whenever we reach a crisis point, that is the test. We are in a crisis. Our first reaction in the time of crisis, second reaction, third reaction, fourth reaction, is all strength of the flesh. Finally, when all they say, no, 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 then you will say, Lord, what should I do? God, should I, you cannot, should I come to me in the first place? This is not God. Honestly, if we check our hearts, it's not God. And it has to become God. It has to become God. God is not our last resort. God is our first resort. Of the weak man, God is not the last resort. He is the first resort. Doesn't matter what you are facing. That's how Hebrews 11, 33 and 34 was talking about. We look at those great exploits. Lord, I want to be like Jephthah. Defeat my enemies. I want to be like Samson. Carry two pillars. Lord, I want to be, I want to be all this. I want to subdue kingdoms. I want to work righteousness. These are all promises made in the new covenant too. You are more than what? Conquerors. You shall subdue kingdoms. Which kingdom? The kingdom of darkness. You shall have something more than Samson. Very soon the God of peace shall crush whom under your feet? The ruler of this world. Where? Under your feet. Lord, I want all that. He says, you know, you can have all that. But out of weakness can only be made strong. Oh Lord, I have to be become weak. You mean my testimony before the world will be always I am weak? Meaning, Lord, before the world I will never be strong. I can't be like the others. God says, no. The minute you become like others, you become strong. And my weakness, my grace is gone. My grace is gone. That's our struggle. We don't want to be weak. We want to be strong. God says, because you are strong, my grace, which is more than sufficient for you in any situation, I want to give it to you. But I cannot give it to you. Until you become weak. 
That is the tension of the kingdom of God. Tension of the kingdom of God. We get to need to get our foundations and our fundamentals right in the beginning so that we don't make larger boo-boos as we go further. Because most of our mistakes, terrible consequences we face in life is because we made decisions, not because we were weak, but because we were strong. We're strong. We were strong, not because we are weak. When you are weak, we will run to God. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? When we are strong, we don't run to God. We don't need counsel. We don't need prayer. We don't need anything. I can do I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. I don't need all that. Even if I ask for counsel, I will check. If I like it, I will take it. If I don't like it, you can keep it. That's the issue. This evening, as we are here, young ones, Teenagers, 20s, 30s, all ages. This is a lifestyle which you learn one day at a time. One day at a time you learn. And you turn it around and look. Is the word of God so important to you? Not for intellectual entertainment. Is it really, really important to you as life? Then you are weak, not strong. Or it's just an add-on. Morning I will read two portions, evening I will read one portion. It's just an add-on. This is not an add-on. This is my life. Because without this, I am, I am, I am defeated. Is prayer an option? Or is prayer like breath? I cannot live without praying because I am entirely dependent upon you. Is fellowship an option? Is fellowship an option? If it's an option, then you are strong in yourself. Are the prayers of other saints an option? Or are you dependent? The greatest apostle will write to every church, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, for what? So that when I stand, I can preach without fear. It's an option? Or do you see it as a necessity? As the day approaches, do not stop gathering as of, is attending church an option? Or do you see it as a necessity? It will show you whether you are weak, or whether you are strong. Because strong people don't need any of this. They make it optional. Weak people realize, I cannot do without this. I cannot do without this. That is why God told Israel, I said before you, life and death, choose life. And what is your life? Your God is your life. That's what he said. Read, go back to Deuteronomy once again. He says, said before you life and death, choose what? Choose life. And what is your life? Your God is your life. God is your life. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you. We just come to you. We just come to you. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord. We are all on that way, Lord. No one has arrived. No one has reached that stage. All on the way, but we are encountering the truth of who God really is. At different points in life. We always see, Lord, we struggle because our dependence is not on you. You are not our first resort. You are our 
often our last resort or no resort at all. We often put you at the edges of our life and not at the center. You are often one of the spokes of the wheel and not the center of the wheel. We struggle with your word often, Lord, because it just contradicts our flesh, our strength, and the stuff we want to do on our own, or what we even want to believe about our salvation. But your word says absolutely clearly, God opposes the proud. And the proud are strong in themselves. But he gives grace to the humble. Help us tonight, not tomorrow, tonight, to be weak before thee. To truly confess from our heart in the reality of the knowledge we learn today. That truly without you, there is nothing that we can do. Yet in our weakness, your grace is perfected. If your grace is sufficient for that great apostle, your grace is more than sufficient for any one of us. None of us will face what he has faced in life. Help us not to avoid truth that we miss grace. Help us to encounter and face and receive truth, O Lord, that we may have an abundance of grace in our lives. So that all of us, especially your young ones here in their colleges, schools and offices, will be able to stand there and face the mockery, the scorn, the abuse, be taken advantage of, miss their promotions, get demoted, because they stood there in the integrity of their heart and in their obedience that came from faith. We know, Lord, ultimately you will exalt us. Not to a lower or a higher place, to the highest place, your word says, to the very right hand of God, you will exalt those who humble themselves. Help us, O Lord. Help us to meditate upon your word day and night until it becomes life for us. You brought us safely this night to your house. Even when we go back, we don't put our trust in our skills, our strength. We put our strength in you. Reach each one home safely, Father, each one. And in their weakness, in their sickness, you be our strength and our healer. Thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.